All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope it's a payday for you. Maybe it is for you weekly and bi-weekly wage earners. Maybe it's uh, it's time to get some green, man. Hope we can get out and go have some fun. This, tonight, as a matter of fact, if you're in town, maybe you don't feel like going over to Oxford, which I don't. You can come hang with me. I'm going to be at Hobie's on Main tonight. We're going to have a watch party slash book signing down there. You, know, you don't feel obligated to come get a book. I mean, I'd love for you to get a book. But if you don't want to, if you just want to come hang and watch a game with some Bulldogs, come on. We're not going to just sit here and be shoving it in your face. But there will be books available for purchase at the event. So if you want Flim Flam, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, or Dogpile, you can pick that up. While you watch the Bulldogs uh, beat the Ole Miss Rebels tonight, we're going to talk a little more about that series here in uh, – you know how things go here in the next, uh, you know, couple segments of this show. Uh, but the reality of it is, if you're in town, come by, hang out at Hobie's. We'll have a good time, have the game up on, on the TVs, and uh, you'll be around family. So come by and check it out. If you can't make it to town, you can always visit dogpiledabook.com, and you can get copies of those books from Bloomsville Leander, of course, available through Amazon and booksmillion.com, barnesandnoble.com. Be sure and check those things out. Also, too, I'm reminded somebody messaged me yesterday. It is available, too, on your reading device, like your tablet, like Kindle and all that kind of stuff, the Barnes & Noble uh, mobile app or whatever. You can get it there, too. It's the only one of my books that's available as an ebook. It's Blooms of Oleander. So be sure and check that out uh, if you haven't already. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. We love them. They love us. They love providing good food. We love consuming good food. Not just good food, but great food. It's a great experience every time I go to Bulldog Burger Company. I'm sure it is for you, too. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Uh, be sure to go check them out and have the spring rolls as your appetizer. I'm a big advocate for the spring rolls. I think it's the best appetizer in Starkville proper. I, I mean that, and I think I've had them all. I love going in there to eat. I love that whole family of restaurants, man. It's like I, I, there's always something 
that I know that I'm going to enjoy. These people know how to feed folks. Trust them with your dining experience. You'll come away impressed. Great food at a great price, and those quantities at Bulldog Burger Company, that's the thing, too, those portions. A lot of people have cut back. They're charging you the same price, giving you less food, and in some cases, less quality. Not at Bulldog Burger Company. The same great quality you've grown to know and love, very consistent. Be sure and go check them out. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's get into last night's ball game. It basically boiled down to one big mistake, didn't it? I mean, it's funny how that is. You got two teams who were kind of similarly situated, not just in records, but in standings, really everything. You know, failed expectations. That's one of the things, too, that, uh, that I have learned in life is the weight of great expectations is difficult to carry for people that are just good. It's difficult for good people to be great, good players to be great, good coaches to be great. Sometimes you have flashes of moments of greatness, but it's difficult to sustain that. And eventually, the, the, it, it weighs you down. But uh, I think both teams are kind of struggling with that. You know, the weight of great, great expectations. And we knew we didn't expect to win this series. And I, I felt like that Friday, or excuse me, Thursday. I get so confused with these Thursday, Friday, Saturday deals. That I felt like that their best chance to win was with Dylan Delucia on the mound, and he was outstanding. Give the guy some credit, man. The guy really pitched well. Thought they had a really good game plan to attack us. They went the first time through the order. They started a soft more times than not. Not a lot of first pitch fastballs. And, you know, the most important pitch in all, all of baseball at every level is strike one. The absolute most important pitch. And so when you've got a guy like that, all of a sudden he's throwing, you know, dropping, the, uh, dropping Uncle Charlie on you or putting that slider. It was mainly a change-up slider fastball mix. There were a couple times he threw some breaking stuff. I don't know if he changed the grip a little bit on the slider, but there were a couple times that thing had a little more bend to it uh, rather than the sweeping action. So, you know, you tip your cap, the guy was outstanding. But, um, you know, both teams have five hits and two home runs. The difference is one of their home runs proved to be a three-run shot in the first inning that ultimately proved to be the margin of the ballgame. It's interesting. There's so many people out there that um, have kind of kept up with this. And, again, we didn't expect to win the series, but uh, it would have been great to get that first one because I really feel like that was a big momentum builder for Ole Miss. You saw how they responded after the ball game. It was, to be honest with you, it was a little bit embarrassing, uh, but I, I understand that it is a very, 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 very big deal for Ole Miss to beat Mississippi State in anything. I mean, it's like you go to bed at night and you say your prayers, please, dear God, please let us beat Mississippi State in something. I, I, I understand. So let's break down the game here. So we get going, and uh, R.J. Yeager is leading off here. And R.J. did not have a great night. He puts the ball in play here, though, with the ground out to short. Kim James and flies out to right field. Hancock flies out to center field. A seven-pitch inning for Delucia there. That's a great start. I mean, it really is. I like it when we're able to go out there and at least get some traffic on the bases earlier. But, that, hey, that's a great start, and it gives that kid some confidence. Bottom of first, we have a chance – we have a chance here to uh, to get out of this thing unscathed, but we don't. We give up a single through the left side. Pretty well-hit ball there from Justin Bench. No relation to Johnny Bench. Gonzalez flies out to center field. We get Elko's for strikeout swinging. I thought our game plan and our approach against Tim Elko was outstanding. We really had him out in front of his front foot. I don't know that he saw maybe one or two break, uh, fastballs the entire night. But um, at the end of the day, they didn't need him to win the ball game. Wild pitch sends bench to second. So now you got a runner in scoring position with uh, with two outs here. And you figure a base hit gives you a chance. 
Then there is a ground ball back towards the middle. We've shifted over, kind of a, you know, a, a hop there that kind of handcuffs Jaeger, and there's an error. Now, all of a sudden, you got runners at the corner, but more importantly, you have extended the inning. You get a ground ball right to you, and, and it's, it's not an easy play. I know it's easy for us to say that. Wasn't an easy play. We don't make it. Allows Kevin Graham to come to the, to the plate with two men on and Brandon Smith in the stretch. We ended up elevating a, a pitch. It is a three-run shot to right field. And at that point, you, you're kind of like, whoa, you know, this is not good. We get McCants to strike out swinging. But, again, this is what happens. When you don't play clean and you give people other opportunities, you extend innings for them, this is what happens. It's, you know, we have played pretty good defense this year, but it does seem like when we do make an error, it does seem like it really it comes back to bite us more times than not. Top of second, State has a chance to kind of get back in here. We get a single that was originally scored an error, which was stupid. It's just absolutely stupid to charge an error there. I mean, it's like you're just trying to protect somebody's fielding percentage or earned run average, whatever. It's just dumb. But he is later changed to a single. Logan Tanner just kind of taps it over the mound. The pitcher has to kind of elevate there, and it goes off his glove. It's not a routine play. You can't charge an error there. They don't. They do correct it. It's the right call. Then Hunter Hines strikes out looking, Compass strikes out looking, and Clark strikes out looking. That cannot happen. I mean, three strikeouts in the inning. You know, somebody's got to put a ball in play here. Now, eventually, the second time through the order, we do start putting some balls in play. But to me, it just seems like the game plan to attack Mississippi State from a pitching standpoint on the Ole Miss side was ahead of where we were with our game plan as hitters to attack Ole Miss. I don't know if, if they changed up their tendencies. I don't know if Delusia just decided, hey, I'm going to pitch these guys backwards. But in the early going of this ball game, it appeared to me that they were ready to play maybe a little more preparedly than we were. And that's not being critical of anybody. Sometimes it happens. Bottom of second, Leatherwood strikes out swinging. Chatagnier flies out to center field. Dunhurst walks. Thought he had a pretty good ball game last night, too, even though he's been injured. Uh, and then Bench strikes out swinging. Again, no relation to Johnny Bench. Top of third, it's a 1-2-3 inning for State. We go through the order here, and the only hit we have is a little bouncing ball that just kind of sneaks over the, the pitcher's head here. We're not making good contact. Ground out to short, Forsyth strikes out looking, and Jaeger flies out to right field. So a lot of soft contact the first time through the Bulldog order there. And, again, all we have to show for it is an infield hit that just kind of found no man's land out there. Brandon Smith had settled down at this point. Bottom of third, he gets a 1-2-3 inning. Gonzalez grounds out to second. Elko strikes out swinging on three pitches. And then Alderman grounds out to third base. I thought the Alderman kid had some really good at-bats. I know he didn't have a whole lot to show for it. But I thought he really grinds you out. I mean, it's the first time I've had a chance to really watch him, you know, more than saying it bad or two. I was impressed with him. He's hitting cleanup for a reason. It's a guy in there to protect him, Elko. But uh, I was impressed with his approach to play. He looks athletic in the box, too. Uh, short to the ball, really athletic swing there. Quick twitch, shall we say. All right, top of four against eight, one, two, three here. Cam James grounds out to the pitcher. Hancock grounds out to short. Tanner flies out to center field. These three guys have to carry us. There's some other supporting guys in this on this lineup here that can make contributions. R.J. Yeager, of course, Calum Clark, Brad Cumbus. But you know, in order for us to win the games we need to win, we need this this three, this trinity of players 
this nucleus, we need these guys to get going. Now, they've been up and down at times, but if we can get everybody going at the same time, we're going to be difficult to beat. And in games like this, in a hostile environment, and in in especially an important series where we're playing a team that uh, is basically at the same level we are in the standings, where there's so much on the line for both, we need these guys to lead. Bottom of four, again, Brandon Smith, outside of hanging that breaking ball there in the first inning, is cruising. One, two, three inning again. You get Graham to ground out the first. McCann strikes out swinging. Leatherwood strikes out swinging. And those are efficient strikeouts, too. The last two, all three of them on three pitches. When you've got that change up and that slider work and the way Brandon Smith did, and he has real sink on the fastball, it's difficult to lay off of it. It really is. Top of five. State finally gets going here. Hunter Hines grounds out the second, and then Cumbus homers to left field. Didn't get it all. But uh, I like Brad being a little more aggressive here. It's a foul, 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 and then he kind of just lofts one over the fence and left and didn't get it all, but he's strong enough to muscle that thing out. Then Kellen Clark comes up and then, uh, you know, rips a single to center field. So now you're thinking, all right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. We kind of – we're being a little more aggressive the second time through the count, through the order. We're swinging the bat a little more aggressively. And then we strike out swinging. Alford and Forsythe back-to-back strike out swingings. And not necessarily terrible at bats, but – you know, we got to put a ball in play here. You know, we, we, we got to at least get a productive out here, and we don't. But it's now a 3-1 ball game. We're thinking, okay, all right, listen, plenty of ball game left, right? Well, Brandon Smith again gets a strikeout swing and a shot, and yay, then Dunhurst homers to right field, and, and just, again, we leave a ball up there. Now it's they get the run back. It's a 4-1 ball game. Bench flies out to right. Gonzalez walks. Elko singles up the middle and just really kind of cued a ball against the ship. They're kind of mishit it. I mean, like – I read that people were like, oh, well, he, he worked against the shift. It was just kind of like more like a situation of circumstance. You know, he didn't get a good swing on it. He just happened to be a big, strong guy, had just enough to kind of muscle it through there, kind of a cue shot. But State gets out of it. You get Alderman to pop up to second base. And, um, you know, you pitch around a little two-out trouble there. Our top of six. Again, State a chance here to kind of get some things going. Jaeger flies out to left field the very first pitch. James in singles to left. Hancock flies out to center. And then Logan Tanner reaches on a fielder's choice, and they force Luke Hancock at second. So Cam comes through here with a hit here. We're starting to put the ball in play a little bit, but, you know, we're starting to start thinking. Not Those guys aren't going to hit, but maybe one more time in the ball game. Top of six. Brandon Smith kind of pitching on fumes here. Does a good job, though. Fly out to center field. McCants strikes out looking. Tough night for McCants. Uh, Leatherwood out at first. Uh, to pitcher. So nice job of Brandon Smith getting over there. So Brandon gives you six big innings, but four runs on a Friday night in the SEC sometimes is more than enough to win, as it proved to be for Ole Miss. But, uh, you know, again, I, I think Brandon Smith going on Fridays is good for us. He's going to give you a quality start. It's back-to-back weeks he has. He just hadn't had any run support. Top of seven, Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. Compass flies out to left, and then we get an absolute take job from Kellen Clark on a 2-0 count. Absolutely rips this ball. Now, all of a sudden, it's a 4-2 game. You start thinking, all right, eventually we're going to get Delucia out of the ball game, get into that bullpen. You know, we just need to get a runner on, bring a tie and run to the plate. Offered and grounds out the third. Not a good night at the plate for Offered. Bottom of seven. We bring in Drew Talley. We have a little drama here, but we mixed and matched with the bullpen, and the bullpen actually did a good job here. 
Talley comes in, we get a fly out to left, then Hunt, uh, Dunhurst doubles to right center. We walk Justin Bench, no relation to Johnny. We pull him, bring in Cam Tuller for the lefty-lefty matchup. He gets the K of Gonzalez. We bring in Fristo to pitch to Tim Elko. He wins the at-bat, gets a, a routine fly ball to right there. So, again, the decisions we make here, Tally is kind of up and down, guys. You know this. Or some guys, some one game he's good, the next game he's not. This is a guy who's a former Memphis pitcher. You know, he's going to have to be big for us down the stretch. Sometimes he gets a little bit center cut with the fastball and has to pay for it. Uh, and then you, you give up that big double. The next thing you know, you, you're kind of locked into an at-bat. You can't finish and give Justin Bentz some credit for grinding out the at-bat. But Lamonis and Foxhall pull the strings here. We go lefty, lefty, righty, righty. We win both of those matchups to kind of keep the game right where it is. Uh, we bring in Von Siebert to pinch hit for Forsyth late in the game, which enables us to put Leggett in it short. And I've read people that are being kind of critical of this, and I don't fully understand that. It's like, We've got to get a guy on base. We've got to find a way to get a guy out there uh, to bring a time run to the plate. So you set up a righty-lefty matchup here. And it's like I read – sometimes I think, you know, and I, and I love you all to death, but some of you make my head hurt. I, and that's, I'm just being honest with you. And I know a lot of people don't know baseball. They love baseball, but they don't really know baseball. And people are like, oh, well, you know, Siebert's not hitting. Guy, he, like, going into his bat last night, he's hitting 270. You know, earlier this month, he's over 300. He had the big hit against Auburn. You know, we're trying to mount the comeback down there. And, you know, he pinch hits and pulls it through. You know, and that's the first hit he's had in a while, but he has primarily been a pinch hitter for us. He just had one start here in the last few ball games. Uh, excuse me, that's not even right. He came in as a reserve in that ball game too. But, uh, you know, my point being here is that you're trying to set up a matchup that is advantageous to the hitter. You've got a tiring pitcher out there, and you can put him in a situation where he's got to come into a left-hander. And Kellum Clark had hit some balls really hard there. Not that we need Vine to go hit a tank for us. You know, we're just trying to put a ball in play here and perhaps get a runner on base because that, you know, all of a sudden, if Seabrook gets on base, well, then you've got the top of the order coming up in the form of R.J. Yeager and Cam James. You start thinking, okay, you find a way to get a guy on. So in this situation in the eighth inning, who gives us the best chance to get on base here? Is it going to be Land Forsyth? And sometimes it is. But this is situational hitting. Now, Vaughn doesn't come through here, but it was absolutely the right decision. There's no question about it. You just need a guy that can get on base. And, of course, you know what happens here. Then you'd pinch run for him, right? Because, like, if he gets on base, then Leg would pinch run for him and then take Forsyth spotted short. That's what would happen. He just didn't come through. We strike out looking pretty good at bat there, but uh, too close to take. That's one thing, if I can be critical of on Siebert, we got to protect. we got to battle a little bit more. And there's a few guys in our lineup that are kind of like that. I mean, like Luke Hancock and, to a certain extent, uh, Logan Tanner, RJ, those guys will spoil pitches. You know, but it's like there's some guys on our team, it's like if we don't get exactly what we want, we're so locked into that, we don't have the ability to spoil a pitch. That's a skill that Von Siebert will develop over the course of the next couple of years. It's a young guy. But to put him in the ballgame here, absolutely the right decision. Didn't work out, but there's no way you don't make this decision in the eighth inning. And then Jaeger grounds out the short and James grounds out the short. Very, very quick inning here. Siebert actually had the best at bat of the, uh, <laughs> of the half inning for State. But, again, nothing to show for it. Now we're down to three outs. Uh, bottom of eight. 
course, Tanner Leggett does come in to play short. And then Alderman grounds out to third. Graham flies out to left. And it's like, okay, we're in a pretty good situation here. We walk McCants, a guy that really struggled. And then he's still second. And we get Leatherwood to strike out swinging. So really nothing going. We pitch around the walk there. But that's kind of a self-inflicted deal there. But, uh, you know, again, good inning for Fristo. You know, it's like you had you got the third out. You got Elko. And then a good inning here. And listen, we know Fristo has been up and down a little bit. He needs an opportunity like this and to perform at a level. And, I, and to be honest with you, I think Jackson Fristo can be fine. I think every bit of this is right between his ears. And I'm not in any way being critical of him. It's just about developing some toughness. It's one thing to pitch in a ball game when you're down two runs in the eighth and another thing to pitch when you're up two runs in the eighth. There are some people that get elevated emotionally when the game is on the line or they're trying to preserve a lead. You know, it's a lot easier to kind of hold the game in place because you're like, well, it's not as high stress an inning. But it's still big innings on the road in the SEC, and that's going to be big for Fristo. All right, so we come up in the ninth needing to get a runner on here to give us ourselves a chance to tie. We got some familiar names up here. Luke Hancock grounds out the short. Tanner flies out on the first pitch to center field. And then Hines lines out to the second baseman in the ball game. 2-0 count there. He, screw, he, he hits it on the screws. We got nothing to show for it. You begin to think there, too, you know, it's, hey, you know, Hines lines that ball in the right field. Then all of a sudden you got Cumbus and Clark behind him. You know, hey, but it doesn't happen. But you give Delucia credit, man. The guy made the pitches. He goes to complete game. And I think that's really the, you know, the, the probably as big a concern as – We'd expected to lose one game on the weekend. You'd like to have won them all. But the fact that not only did they win a game, they didn't have to use any bullpen arms. I mean, they got a guy up and kind of warmed him a little bit, but uh, not much. And, of course, Scott Klein's behind the plate. And I think Joe Deere sent me that we're one in three with Scott Klein behind the plate. And, and it's like, here's the thing, too. I don't think he's got some agenda against Mississippi State. I just think Scott Klein is terrible. And I didn't think he was great uh, for Delucia at times either. There were other times that um, – there was some. I really thought for some reason Klein's zone to left-handers was just kind of a moving target. Sometimes he gives you a ball in, the next time he gives you a ball and a half out. That, that's the thing that worries me the most. It's just you know, give me some consistency. It's terrible. But, of course, four home runs in the game, two for each team, and the difference between those two home runs is the fact that we made a mistake defensively. And that's kind of what happens. When you have two teams that are kind of equal on equal footing – the team that makes the big mistake generally loses. That was Mississippi State. We make the error. Again, it wasn't a routine play. It's a tough play in many respects. You know, you got that top spin chopper coming right at you. You filled it clean. You're out of the inning. You don't. Next thing you know, it's a three-run tank. It ended up being a difference in the game. I mean, that's how close this thing is. It really is. And, again, I thought both pitchers pitched well enough to win. And you look at it and say, you know what, Brandon left a couple up, so did Delucia. But both of those guys, I thought, did a really good job kind of pounding the zone. Let's look at the, the box scores here. We'll start with pitching. Brandon Smith takes the L. Six innings pitched, four hits, four runs, one of them earned, two walks, nine strikeouts. And, and Brandon's not a guy that walks guys very often. You know, I think uh, two walks is the most in a game all year for him. He gives you 107 pitches. But here's the thing. Brandon Smith gives you a chance to win. There's not a throwaway game on the weekend. You know Brandon's going to go out there and compete. And we didn't get the win here, but it wasn't like Brandon didn't keep us in the ballgame. We got a score. And then, of course, Drew Talley, of course, gets his guy. Excuse me. Drew Talley goes in one-third of an inning, gives up a hit and a walk. So he gives up some runners, and then we piece it together. Cam gets his guy, Gonzalez, on five pitches. And then Fristo goes in an inning in the third, no hits, no runs, the one walk, and a K. And I don't think any of these guys are burned. 
you know, Tally 10 pitches, Cam just five, and then Jackson Fristo 19. So all those guys can come back later in the weekend. And now Dylan DeLucia, nine innings pitch, five hits, two runs, no walks, eight strikeouts, 117 pitches, a lot of ground outs. Basically, anything hit to the left side was an out because Gonzalez was so good and so rangy over there. And he made it all look so routine. But a lot of that, too, is being a good pitcher, man, is you, you get good soft contact. You have guys swinging over the top. You're getting under barrels, having them beat the baseball on the ground. And so, you know, much as I hate to say it, hey, Dylan DeLuce is the guy, man. He beat us, and he's been really good the last couple of weeks. It's a different day and time the rest of the weekend, and we have to make that mean something. You know, we've got our, our two best, our most accomplished starters going uh, Friday, Saturday. we got to win this thing tonight. And I've said all, year, all, all week long, you know, Ole Miss struggles in game threes. And so, you know, I feel pretty good with Cade going out there. Tonight's it. we got to win this ballgame tonight. It's as simple as that. We have to win this ballgame tonight. And, and honestly, and I hate to overhype it, but this could be the season right here. You drop this series to Ole Miss, you fall farther in the RPI, and you've basically given yourself, yeah, you still have a mathematical possibility, but you don't have a realistic chance at that point, I think, of making a regional unless you go up there and just get hot in the tournament. And so it's like, I think here's the thing, too. We have to be honest with ourselves about this. We're not as good as we expected to be. And it's confusing. It's frustrating. I hate feeling this way. You know, I love being able to go to the ballpark thinking, you know, we've got a chance to beat anybody we want to. But it's like every time we fall behind in a ball game, it's like, here we go again. That's how it feels. And sometimes we're able to mount a comeback against the bullpen. But we got to find a way. We've got to have better game plans to go up there and attack starting pitching. You know, it was the thing last year. Granted, you got T.A. and Rowdy, it's probably the best one-two combo in the country. We'd go out there and ambush people with line drives back up the middle early in ball games and get to their confidence and get on the scoreboard. Next thing you know, they're chasing the game. It, to me, it feels like Mississippi State is chasing the game every single game. Even when we get you know one two run lead, it always feels like it still feels so tenuous. I didn't expect to feel this way, especially this late in the year. And I guess maybe that opening weekend against Long Beach State kind of should have been a harbinger for things to come. You know, and you keep thinking, man, I know these guys, I know what they're capable of, I know their talent level, they're going to get it going. Well, that's got to start today. And you say, well, Steve, we beat Auburn last weekend. Yes, we did, but we're still digging ourselves out of a hole with some inconsistent play early in the year. But I hate feeling this way. I absolutely hate feeling this way. And, and here's the thing. People are like, oh, we lost to Ole Miss. Guys, that's the, the smallest part of the equation. We're trying to get back to the NCAA tournament. It wouldn't matter if we're playing Ole Miss or, or LSU or Alabama or Auburn. This is an important series, not just for bragging rights, but because of the fact, in many respects, our season depends on this. It just so happens to be Ole Miss. So that makes it maybe burn a little bit more, but – you know, just losing to Ole Miss. We lost to Ole Miss a game last year and ended up winning an NFL championship. You know, so it's not the opponent. It's the fact that we've taken a loss we can't afford to take. That's the deal. Now, I know that doesn't play well in the Facebook groups. It's like, oh, you know, Ole Miss beat us. Guys, that's baseball. You know, we're going to play a lot of games and we're going to win some games. We're going to lose some games. we got to win more games. You know, beating Ole Miss is the bonus. This is, a, this is not a matter of rivalry. This is a matter of mathematics. We are running out of SEC opportunities. We've got to get no less than 14 wins in the SEC to have a reasonable chance to get into a regional. And we had an opportunity last night, and we blew it. So we have got to go get these next two. We've got to win tonight. We've got to win tomorrow. It's as simple as that. 
and all of a sudden that makes you, you know, eight and ten in the league, and you still got to go find six somewhere else. You got four series left to do it. Chances of you sweeping somebody are probably pretty slim. And Missouri gave LSU all they wanted last night. They're going to be tough in their ballpark. We can't say we got time. We don't have any more time. Now is the time. We got to go win this ball game tonight, come back on Saturday, and win the series. And even that doesn't accomplish anything other than keeping you in the game. It keeps you in the conversation. We got to go take care of business. All right. Again, five hits last night. Your hitters last night, Cam James had a single. Uh, Logan Tanner had a single. Brad Cumbus had a home run. Kellum Clark, two for three, had the home run, of course, and then that nice single. In fact, Kellum Clark is your PrimeShrimp.com player of the game. If you're unfamiliar with Prime Shrimp, let me encourage you, familiarize yourself. Go to PrimeShrimp.com. they got four great flavors to choose from. I encourage you to try them all. I love shrimp. I lived a long time in South Louisiana. I got accustomed to having high-quality shrimp. I moved to North Mississippi. The quality is just not the same here. And that's nothing against anybody else, but the reality of it is you live down there closer to the bayou and to the ocean, hey, you know, the shrimp's a lot fresher. It's a lot more plentiful. You got a lot more choices. So I go with a New Orleans-based shrimp company, PrimeShrimp.com. They've been peeling shrimp in New Orleans since the 1940s. New products all the time. And it's very, very easy, too. The, the, the thing I love about shrimp is the taste. The thing I hate about shrimp is all the prep and the cleanup and everything. What if we could eliminate all the drama with shrimp and you just had the joy of shrimp, right? Right? That's what PrimeShrimp.com does for you. You get that handy little pouch. Shrimp's already been detailed and peeled and deveined. All you do is bowl a pot of water, drop them in 10 minutes later. Boom, boom, boom. Man, it's great. You can serve it on a salad. Uh, serve it over uh, a bed of fettuccine noodles, or you could just eat it right out of the pot. I don't care how you eat it. You'll just be glad you did. Go to PrimeShrimp.com. Use promo code BONEYARD to save a few bucks on your order. And if you don't love it, you'll get your money back. It is a risk-free purchase. So come Clark, our Prime Shrimp player of the game. All right, so we're getting ready to go today, and, uh, you know, you know Presto's going for us. And, uh, you know, we've got to go out there and get a quality start for him, and he has been outstanding here uh, the last three weeks. You know, a little bit up and down against Arkansas. But uh, Preston, I think, uh, the last two weeks has put together his two best appearances in a Mississippi State uniform as a starting pitcher. We never knew that he was going to be the Friday guy. Circumstances have kind of, you know, pushed us in that direction. So we got to go out there and handle business. And Preston has stepped up to the plate. Preston is throwing winning baseball. We hadn't been able to support him with runs at times on Friday nights. Now he's on Saturdays. Again, I believe in the rotation. I do. But we got to go score some runs. We're not gonna, listen. We're not going to beat anybody two nothing, two one. We're not. We're just not. We're not good enough on the back end to be able to win a game like that. We have got to be able to go get some separation. That's who we are. That's the identity of this team. In order for us to win, we got to go up there and put up four or five runs and probably give the bullpen a couple run cushion. And sometimes that's not even enough either. And it's not like anybody's not trying. And I read some things sometimes too, and I want to make sure that I share this with you. You know, there's a lot of people out there that love Mississippi State, and when we lose, you feel it too, right? I mean, it impacts the quality of your life. It may not make the, the cost of rent go up, but you feel it, right? It impacts your day. You don't want to have to get up and go to work tomorrow and have to listen to that smarmy old miss guy at the water cooler. I, I get it. I get it. But it, it, nobody, nobody cares more than the players do. Nobody's up there just trying to get out. And I have people that message me, oh, we're doing this and we're doing that, and and uh, I laugh sometimes. It's like I, people to say, I don't, I don't like our, our game plan here pitching to this guy. I don't like our approach at the plate here. Well, tell me what that is. 
what, what is our game plan? And how do you know? How did you learn our game plan? I don't know. You know, I know enough about baseball to kind of watch sometimes and you kind of pick up on some things. I don't know what the scouting report is for these guys, but I know, you know, what, whatever we did to Tim Elko was good last night, but he is a great player. He'll adjust today, figure out how we're attacking him, and he'll try to make an adjustment and say, you know what, these, this is what their scouting report says on me, so I've got to kind of change up my, my game a little bit. Baseball is a game of adjustments. But it's like we learn a little bit of the lingo. We're like, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. And that's what I say, well, tell me, what is, you know, what, what is it? What's our game plan? And then it's like, well, I just know that, no, I mean, you don't know. I don't know. You know, I pick up a few things talking to people from time to time. But it's like we get, we get this caught up in all this stuff, and it's like we get the verbiage, and it's like you know, we want to sound credible. And at the end of the day, let's just call it for what it is. We're disappointed. We're disappointed we're not winning more ball games. We're disappointed at times in how we're playing. Just call it what it is. We're not having a good year. We're not capitalizing on the NAFL championship season. There's some guys that we've really counted on that hadn't come through yet, and we hope they do, and we hope they do before it's too little too late. That's the reality of all this. All the other stuff, all the jargon and everything else, just forget that. So let's just be honest about it. We got to go win tonight. We got to win this series. We have to. And yeah, and listen, I, it's not lost on me that we're that we were 16 and four against those guys in the last 20 games. Trust me, I like being able to hold that over their heads too. But we got bigger fish to fry than that, though. We're trying to get to the NCAA regional, and I believe this is a team. I, listen. We don't have – I don't think we've got enough pitching depth to win a Super. I don't. I do think we can get in a regional and win. I do. Especially if we can stay out of loser's bracket. But at this point, after all we've gone through and the adversity that we faced and the inconsistency that we played with at times, if we get to a regional, I'm going to be really excited about that. No matter what happens the rest of the way. But not making the tournament, to me, I think is unacceptable. Now, what does that mean? Unacceptable. I think it's an unacceptable expectation. Nobody's losing a job. Like, I have people all the time, well, what has to happen for us to make a change? We're not making a coaching change. Are you kidding me? We're not going to shake up the staff. We're not doing that. We just won a NAFL championship. And this is the very next year we have some injuries and we have some guys leave and we're thinking, what are we going to do? We're going to ride it out. That's what we're going to do. We're going to come back next year and be a better ball team for it. You know? I mean, it's like we're Mississippi State. It's like I read some of these things sometimes, and I just, it blows me away. It's like – and I get there are a lot of people that don't have a sense of history, and that's okay too. It's okay. You know, we can be prisoners of the moment, but at the same time too, I'm glad many of you are not making decisions when it comes to our baseball program. And I, and I love you to death, but I think it's time some, – sometimes we've got to take a deep breath. And, I, and I, I'm a firm believer that uh, there is a market out there for sports wives – I do. And what I think this market is, and maybe some tech person will come up with this, is maybe you install an app on your husband's phone. And maybe, maybe some husbands need to do it with their wives. But I, there's a, this significant other deal where you can install an app that is activated from your phone that during a ball game that you can deactivate their social media accounts, that they, ha- they can't have access to it. Maybe you're updating them or whatever. Because there are some, so many people, it's like, and I know it comes from a good place because we all want Mississippi State to win. 
But there are a lot of times people will just go put stuff out there on social media, and it's like, you know, it's maybe say it across the dining room table or across the living room. You know, we don't have to go tweet every single thought. And it's like, we again, I see these people, too, that, you know, being so hypercritical of people they don't even know. You know, when R.J. hit that home run to beat Alabama, it was a little different deal, right? Right? You think R.J. Yeager wanted to make, make that error yesterday? I can promise you nobody on that baseball team right now feels worse about that than R.J. Yeager. You can take that to the bank, arguably our best player. You don't think that guy's going to come out knowing that I went 0 for 4 yesterday and I made the error that ultimately cost us the game? He's a competitor, though. He'll respond. He ain't going to come out there and cry and pout today. He's not going to get out there on Twitter and start fighting with people. He's going to get in the cage. I expect a better game from RJ tonight. We need it. All right, time for today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Be sure and check him out. And that's the thing I've shared with you guys before. You know, it's like in the mortgage process, you know, getting a mortgage, refinancing a mortgage, you know, getting approvals, getting a second, all that stuff it can be stressful. It's like you just want to get it done. The process in and of itself is very difficult. It pays to have a mortgage professional to assist you with all this. That's Blair Chandler, longtime friend of mine, longtime friend of Mississippi State, has a place here, season ticket holder, multiple sports. That guy's committed. He's not just out here asking for your business. He's, he's part of your Bulldog family. So visit him at CloseWithBlair.com. He tells me that there are still a lot of people that are overextended when it comes to credit card debt. They're just trying to kind of bide their time and not really make any progress. You're just kind of treading water. You're never going to pay that debt off. Just making the minimum payment. Let's get it handled today. Let's go ahead and consolidate that debt down to one monthly payment. Improve your credit score. Improve your quality of life. Get off the week-to-week or paycheck-to-paycheck hamster wheel. Blair can help you with that. Or maybe if you're looking to buy a home, no better place to go with Blair Chandler. Blair's part of the Fairway Mortgage Group, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction when it came to mortgage lending. So you got the best guy with 21 years of industry in the company, in the industry, excuse me, top 1% close ratio in the country, working for a great mortgage company like Fairway Mortgage. Uh, Let me give you Blair's personal number. And you can call or text him today. And you're probably thinking, well, you know, Steve, I just don't know. The call is free. He's not going to bill you for your time. Maybe you text him and say, hey, I've been thinking about this. Is now a good time. What are my options? You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to go write a check to talk to the guy. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And here's the thing, too. You mentioned to him you heard about him on the boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That's, you get a lot of bang for your buck just being one of our peeps, man. It's about a five to $600 value. He's going to take care of that for you. All right, so here we go. Top 10. And so one of my friends on social media, yeah, I've got a lot of people, friends I hadn't met yet. You know what I mean? That's the, the, one of the great things about social media is we can have relationships with people, you know, friendships and partnerships with people that, you know, different parts of the country because we have a shared interest. So one of my friends reached out to me, one of my internet Twitter friends, said, hey, Steve, idea for the top 10 list. What about, you know, you know, songs and bands you hate? You know, we've done that a while back. It was very popular. So I decided to do it again, but it's the most annoying bands, top 10 most annoying bands. And I started to give you, like, their worst songs because I want you to hate them too. Uh, and maybe hate's a strong word. Maybe it is. Maybe hate's a strong word. 
for music. Even you know, part of the issue too is it's not necessarily the bands or the music. Sometimes it's the fans. Like fans, like same thing like with Ole Miss. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have had a great experience at Ole Miss, but like their fans just kind of ruin it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like yeah, I mean I'm sure Ole Miss is in Oxford's a nice town, but then if I could go to Oxford, then I got to be around Ole Miss people. You know, it's it's like uh, if I want to do that, there's no breakfast worth that. All right, so top ten most annoying bands to me, and let me share this with you too. I know a lot of people get very personal about all this stuff. Like I get it. I like all kinds of rock music. I can go all the way back to the fifties and sixties and up to yesterday. I get it. Matter of fact. Bring Me the Horizon, drop a new song today. Love that. Love it. Love Bring Me the Horizon. So I'm pretty well versed when it comes to music. But here's the deal. I never just pick who I like. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't just wake up one day and said, you know what? I'm going to be a Motley Crue fan. No. I heard the Shout Out to the Devil cassette. My friend Mike Cook had it. And I was like, man, these guys are great. So when I bought the tape. I didn't just say, you know what, hey, I'm going to do this. And I honestly, I think some of sometimes there's some bands out there that it's like, it's so contrived. It's like, oh, well, I'm supposed to like this band, and so let me find one or two songs. But then you don't ever listen to that band. Like, I see that a lot. Like, I see these kids walking around with their Nirvana T-shirts they bought at Spencer's Gifts or whatever. Or they bought it on Amazon or whatever, and they can't tell you two or three songs, you know, that Nirvana sang. You know, and so that kind of stuff annoys me too. But here we are, and I'm going back to back to the '80s. I'm bringing some bands from the '80s, the '90s, the early 2000s on this list. Not a lot of newer bands have really grated on my nerves too much. So here we go: top ten most annoying bands. And I went without what I thought was a good song from each of the bands. It's, I mean, as as good as they could produce. I mean, some of these bands are terrible, and so it was very very difficult. And in, in order to do this, I had to listen to snippets of so many of these bad songs. So I got to go have a good lunch today, kind of turn my day around. So here we go. Top 10 most annoying bands brought to you by the friends at CloseWithBlair.com. All right, number 10, back in the 80s, there was a band called Crocus. And I know some people really like them. I never got it, man. I never, I never got it. I thought the music was very simplistic. I think the chord progressions were just basically, you know, and, and listen, let's be honest. A lot of the guitar playing in the early to mid-80s was not very good. Got much better when we had guys like Steve I and uh, Tony McAlpine and Joe Satriani and Chris DeGarmo, Michael Walton. You know, you had guitar evolved. I thought these guys were just very, very basic. I think they were really kind of a in many ways, trying to be like a Judas Priest cover band. And I love K.K. Downing and those guys from Judas Priest. But I think, you know, a lot of that, a lot of reasons people play those songs because they're easier to play. Well, I think Crocus was like a poor man's Judas Priest cover band. But I did go with Headhunter. Headhunter, I think, is a decent song. I like the percussion on it. I can't stand the vocalist. And there's some people out there that are going to message me and say, Steve, how, how dare you say that about Crocus? I just didn't get it. Number nine, speaking of not getting it, and I had a tough time picking these songs for the for the, this list. Uh, the band Incubus, I, I just I don't get it. I, I don't. I know many of you like it, and uh, what's that? Uh, Megalomaniac. That's a pretty decent song there. I didn't go with that one, but Incubus is one of those things. I felt like that I was force fed Incubus. It's like every time I would turn on, you know, Serious Octane, I had to hear an Incubus song, like once an hour. And it's, so I kind of rebelled against that. I'm like, dude, you guys chill with all this incubus. They're okay. They're not great. 
And so I, because I was force-fed, I was like, they'd come up, I would switch over to Hair Nation or Ozzy's Boneyard or something. I'd just move away from it. Uh, but I went with the song Dig, which is a good one, I think. And, and Incubus has a couple of decent songs. But uh, their popularity, I don't think, matches their talent. Uh, number eight, and I know that some people are going to be upset about this, and that's okay. Uh, I know many of you are REM fans, and I went to the REM church steeple when I was in uh, Athens, Georgia, and I felt honored to go do that. You know, uh, REM, Michael Stipe at times can be very, very irritating, I think. I think Michael's a guy that uh, you know, really loves attention. He's an incredibly talented guy, too. But I went back a few years. My sister, Kim, many of you don't know that Kim is my sister. I get that all the time. Oh, I had no idea that Kim Kennedy was your sister. Yeah, she's absolutely my sister. And um, so she bought me this one day, this album. And I'm like, ah, I don't like R.E.M. And she goes, oh, I just, it was real popular. And she bought it. So I went and returned it. And I feel kind of bad for saying that now because, you know, here she was just trying to be sweet to me. But she bought it. And I returned it. And I'm sure I got, you know, you know, rat or something. Um, but I picked the one I love. In honor of my sister, Kim. I love her, but not in that way. But this is the album that she bought me. And it had that single, this one goes out to the one I love. So, Kim, in honor of you buying me an R.A.M. tape that I didn't really want, you're very sweet to do it anyway. This is for you. Number seven, a lot like R.A.M. It's like, it's, it's, there's a consistent theme with all this. These bands are annoying. And I know that this is another one that some of you guys, again, I I don't get it. You know, again, I don't think you choose to like certain bands. I think they just strike a chord with you. And it's different strokes for different folks. Like, I'm I'm not this music snob. You know, I don't just feel like, oh, if you listen to this, you got to be a loser. You know, hey, you like whatever you want to like. I don't like Coldplay. I don't. I like Gwyneth Paltrow, but I don't like Coldplay. Um, And some of you will get the joke. But um, I do think the song Yellow is decent. I know many of you, like that Viva La Vida, like that opening of strings in the beginning, it makes, it, it makes me want to take hostages. I, I mean, I, when I hear that, it just grates on my nerves so bad. It is so incredibly pretentious. It's not beautiful at all to me. I mean, maybe to you. And clocks? Are you kidding me? Like, if it comes on the radio, it's like I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, am I being punked here? What's happening? You know, so I change the channel. I don't like Coldplay. You can you you feel free to love them. I went with the song Yellow. It is the one that I can at least stomach. Number six, we've got a modern rock band here. And here's the problem that I have with them. Number one, the singer's not very good. And he's very monotone. And you can tell that there's a lot of um, effects used to make his voice at least marketable. He has no range whatsoever. And it all sounds the same, and it's like he's forcing it out. And when I hear it, like when I see people wearing a Volbeat shirt, I think I want to avoid that guy. I just, I, I don't want to have to hear about it. Oh, you don't like Volbeat? No, no, I don't. I don't like Volbeat. I don't like him at all. I, I used to like the song Still Counting. I thought it was pretty cool, kind of funny. But then it's like, oh, I mean, it's like it became again one of these things on Octane. It's like they were buying airtime. It's like every time I turn around, it's like, you know, I've got another Volbeat song in my face. And it's like, guys, I'll go download the album if I want to hear it in its entirety. I don't get it at all. They've got a couple decent songs, but the singer's voice just absolutely drives me crazy. The band rocks. 
The singing's terrible. It's awful. And you may love Volbeat. And I, I guarantee you, you love him because the band rocks. You don't love him because the singer is great. He's not. Uh, but I went with a Warrior's Call. I love that opening guitar riff. And it's one of those, when this one comes on serious octane, I'm like, okay, I can, I can at least sit here and listen to this for four minutes. Great song. Uh, but again, I'm not a Volbeat fan, and, and it's just, again, I, I can't stand being force-fed all this mediocre stuff. Number five, speaking of mediocre, it's the band Everclear. Man, I hate these guys. I, 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 it's like I begin to think to myself, if these guys can get a record deal, anybody can. Anybody. I know some of you are like, oh, but Steve, no. no guys, stop. Stop trying to tell me that Everclear is good. There, matter of fact, the next five bands... I know this is going to be controversial. None of these five bands, with maybe one exception, should have even had a record deal. I mean, it's. I think to myself, are, are these people like, do they have something on somebody? Everclear is not good. Lyrical content, not good. Vocal delivery, not good. Instrumentation, very, very mediocre. But for a while there, they were everywhere. You give them credit. And I, and I got into a discussion on Twitter one time with a Bulldog fan about Everclear, and, and it was a song of theirs that he really liked. And, you know, listen, you have your right to like whatever you want. I won't ever judge you for that. I'll judge the band. Everclear sucks, man. <laughs> I'm just going to lay it out there for you. And it's like sometimes it's like, oh, well, they were on the radio. So it's like you hear it enough. It's like a ladder of awareness type thing. It's like you hear it enough. Oh, that's not bad. If I've got to listen to it 50 times to think, hey, it's not bad. It's not good. That's all it is. It's not bad. But we went with Santa Monica. And, and I'll be honest with you, this was hard to do, to pick an Everclear song to put on this list. It almost made me rethink the whole thing. I was like, guys, these guys are no good. Uh, number four, and another, oh, my gosh, this is another one that just makes you want to grit my teeth when I have these discussions with people. And, again, I don't know what you love or you like, but don't sit here and try to tell me that anybody outside of Travis Barker is exceptionally talented in Blink-182. And I thought Travis was better out of Blink-182, the stuff that he did, the sit-ins, the, the remixes that he did. The guy's ultra-talented. Blink-182 is basically watered-down punk for Starbucks drinkers. And that's what it is. It's what it is. And you say, but Steve, that's not – no, it is. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm a guy that grew up listening, you know, to the surf punks and people like that and Black Flag. Um you know, of course, the Sex Pistols, I mean, you know, it's like they had the one great album. But my point being is like, I get it. But this pop punk thing that we did did not work. And if you go look at what's happened in recent years to these bands, it was a flash in the pan. But Steve, they're still playing. Well, yeah, they're broke. I mean, goodness, man. I mean, they're playing Knott's Berry Farm trying to pedal T-shirts they need tonight. Come on, give me a break. But I went with the, the signature song just because I wanted to make you guys happy, those of you that are – but Steve. So it's all the small things. Yeah, I guess one of the – I guess really the only great thing about Blink-182 is they had Janine on the cover of one of their albums. I can't remember the name of the album. Uh, but anyway, Blink-182, number four. I didn't get it. You, can, you feel free to like that mediocre stuff all you want to. It's your life. It's your car. The soundtrack of your life can be as – monotone as you want it to be number three and i know i'm gonna get some hate on this one because these guys have a huge following and that's okay too but it's dave matthews band i i just don't get it i don't get it it's I, you know it's like i i read 
and I hear about these people that go to these big shows and, you know, they, they get high and go to the show. And I would have to be high to go to a Dave Matthews band show too. I, I, there's no way I can walk in there sober and be able to enjoy that. It's like, hey, man, let's all go drop some ass and smoke some weed and go hear Dave Matthews. Well, you know, if you got to do that, that says a lot about the music. And our people are like, oh, I've been all over the country to see Dave Matthews. Cool. Are, are you going for the show or are you going for the drugs? I mean, give me a break. Not a fan at all. Not to suggest that everybody that likes the DMB has got a substance abuse problem. Not going to say that. But I don't get it. I don't, I don't get all the fiddles and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I don't get it. It's, just, it's not my thing. It can be your thing. It's not my thing. I think they're extremely annoying. And when all these people are like, dude, you got to go to a Dave Matthews band show. Guys, I, I, I think I'd rather shoot myself than go to a Dave Matthews band show. I mean, it, it, the, the thought of having to endure that for a couple of hours almost just seems like a penalty worse than death. Uh, number two, you probably thought these guys were going to be number one, but I flip-flopped them today because it, at least there's a couple songs from this, this band that I really like. And I, sometimes I ask myself, maybe I hadn't been fair to this band, you know, maybe because of the fact that uh, they got all this notoriety and really kind of killed the hair metal movement in some, in some people's eyes. I, I think what killed the hair metal movement was greed and excess and the fact that we had this cookie-cutter idea of what we thought music should be, and it got really bloated, and it was killing itself. And then grunge comes along, and it just gave us an alternative. Because all of a sudden, we were kind of getting back to this rock. All of a sudden, it didn't matter what, what shade lipstick you were wearing or that sort of stuff or how much hair you had. I mean, it was a whole different deal. But, uh, but it's Nirvana, the number two most annoying band. And, and I'll be honest with you. Like, when they came out with uh, Smells Like Team Spirit and you had the video, I'm like, oh, these guys are decent, you know. And Nirvana went on Headbangers Ball with Ricky Ragman. And Kurt Cobain was so incredibly rude and disrespectful and i was like this is the biggest rock show in the country and ricky ragman was our guy and then you're gonna go on there and disrespect just don't even go i mean it's like you, you already think that you've got some type of uh, feeling of superiority at that point you know, nirvana had had a couple of albums out that, that nothing had happened with nothing absolutely nothing had happened with and the next thing you know Nevermind comes along, which is a corporate rock creation. All of a sudden, they put some money behind the band. And if you've read the subsequent interviews, you can still find them online. Kurt Cobain will tell you he wasn't a big fan of the Nevermind album. And so when they came out with In Utero, the album nearly got shelved because the record company wanted Nevermind Part 2, but Kirk wanted to go back and kind of be true to themselves and play more punk stuff. Uh, and so out of that, and Utero album came, but I think it's the best Nirvana song, and that's Hard Shaped Box. I think the guitar on this is really good. I like the tuning on it. I don't like the guitar solo, but I love the kind of the overall tenor of this song. Hard Shaped Box from Nirvana. Many of you love Nirvana, and uh, that is absolutely your right. They got way too much credit for something they didn't really do. It's like even now, like kids today, it's like, oh, Nirvana founded grunge. No, they didn't. Matter of fact, Soundgarden had already sold about 2 million records before Nirvana had a record deal. So let, let, if we're going to give credit, let's give credit to Screaming Trees and the Melvins and uh, Green River and Mother Love Bone that ultimately became kind of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Let's give those bands credit for finding the movement 
Now, you can say that you know, Nirvana was the, the band that uh, record companies wanted to push. That may be the case. But I submit to you that there is nothing that Nirvana has done that matches what Soundgarden and Pearl Jam did. And if, and if you don't like it, that's fine. Uh, you have the right to be wrong. And that, that's my opinion. You can love Nirvana. I don't. I think they're extremely annoying. The only good thing to come by Nirvana was Dave Grohl. Number one, and you know these rankings are always fluid, right? Number one, it's Green Day, and, and again, when all this, when all the pumps, I, I like, I favored the Offspring over Green Day. I think the Offspring is a more fun band. I thought Green Day was extremely contrived. They killed the Guitar Hero franchise. Everybody's like, hey, let's go do Green Day. Some hipster out there is like, yeah, man, you know, rock band and Guitar Hero are just killing it. We're doing great. Well, how can we screw it up? Oh, I don't know. Let's go do Green Day. And so here we are. So they killed a rock band and a Guitar Hero franchise. Hey, hey, you know, let's go do it. So they kill that. And then uh, I don't know if you know that, they, you know, I think their last couple albums were like, you know, what, 50,000 copies. It was awful. But Uno, Dos, Trey, whatever it was. Uh, here, here's the hint to you. Is it Green Day wasn't good in the first place? Again, it's punk for Starbucks drinkers. It's what it is. And uh, I agree with Johnny Rotten. They're not a punk band. Uh, I think these guys are just a pop band that uh, you know plays out of tune, and they call it punk. And, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I was almost clueless, almost clueless about what song to pick. And so I listened to a handful of Green Day songs, again, to familiarize myself. And, and some of these songs make me want to vomit. I mean, I'm, I, literally, I get physically ill when I hear – Billy Joe Armstrong's voice, and I think to myself, how many people have wasted their money buying this music? I mean, honestly, we talk about doing a fundraiser. We should do like a GoFundMe buyback. I think Green Day should like buy all those records back from you guys. I, I really do. I, how many people bought it? And it's like, hey, man, this is great. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I wasted 20 bucks on this CD. So I went with the song Holiday, and, and it's the only thing that I listen to from them, and it's like, you know what, at least this is this sounds like something that wasn't contrived to be a radio-type deal. Because, like, many of you think about your favorite Green Day songs. They're supposed to be a punk band, but we're talking about, I hope you had the time of your life, so, we, you know, the Seinfeld stuff. You know, wake me when September comes. You know, give me a break. How about don't wake me? How about wake me when you guys stop touring? How about that? There you go. Top 10 most annoying bands. As I see it, I am ready to die on this hill. If you guys want to fight it out on Twitter or on the message boards, come at me, bro. I'm good. I'm down. I'm down to throw hands here. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let me know. I'm available on all forms of social media, at ScoutSteveR. Again, that's at ScoutSteveR. Be sure and uh, give me a follow there, and you can find the list uh, Roy Samante, my buddy, at Dogmatic67, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Uh, he puts these things on Spotify. And then our friend Izzy gets behind from time to time, but he will get caught up. But uh, you can see the list and have that engagement. I know some of you are like me, you're Apple Music people. And, uh, you know, our people, you know, it's our, our sense of humor that has sustained us for uh, 20 years or so now. Uh, so I'm not a Spotify person. Many of you are. That's cool to each their own. But uh, I, would, I would encourage you, too, to improve the quality of your life is remove these bands from your Spotify and your Apple Music Library. You'll be glad you did. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? 
Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step -step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Let's face it, friends, we live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. All right, time for another quick look at some things that uh, I've done a little research and I want to talk about transferring.
Right, this segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. You guys know Stan the Man. Stan's retiring soon, so you need to go by there and see him and get your uh, your complimentary hug before he leaves. Be sure and go uh, and see him. Stan has served this great community for many, many years, and Campus Bookmart, of course, will soldier on without him, but it is a, uh, it's a loss, man. Stan's a great guy. really is. Been great to me. Really thank a lot of Stan Ray. He'll be out at Left Field Lounge if you're looking for him. But in the meantime, maybe buy yourself a retirement gift. Stan will be happy about that. Send him out with style. Be sure and go to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Again, they don't take ducks as a form of payment. But... Um, Kind of laughing at myself there. But uh, I love Campus Bookmart. Such a great selection there of Mississippi State merchandise. They also have all five of my books. So while you're buying yourself some Mississippi State merch to wear on vacation, you can uh, fill out your collection of Steve Robertson writing materials. How about that? Be sure and check that out. It's campusbookmart.net. Again, promo code BSR. All right. I'm working on a piece. I don't know when I'll be finished with it. I have been thinking about this, and I've talked to some people, and it's difficult to get hard numbers. You know, back in 15, when they approved the cost of attendance increase to college athletic scholarships, and those are all in, you know, head counter sports rather than equivalent sports, that, uh, you know, it's the guys that are already getting 100% are getting more money, guys and gals. And I don't know that that's fair. But when those numbers were released, you know, people began to use them as a recruiting tool. It's like, hey, yeah, you can go here, but we're going to give you a bigger stipend here. You know, it's like if you begin to think about, hey, we're, there's two schools that are on a kid's final list. You can say, you know what, we're going to pay you more to come to school here. So that is part of it, too, that I think it's important, even though it's not huge money, it's still pocket money, and if you remember being a broke college student and uh, a lot of guys can't get dates because uh, they can't get jobs, so you can't take a girl out. you got to just hope you meet a girl at a party or whatever, and she's funding her own fun. But they changed it a little bit to allow guys to get a little more money. So when you begin to factor that in, and you factor in you know, the recent ruling that was upheld by the United States Supreme Court that enables schools to pay $5,980 a year to students that attend class and make good grades. And you're, it's very easy to get. The threshold to get those funds is very, very small. It's very low. And so you begin to kind of stack all this together, and you realize that not every school is going to be able to fund that. You know, there are some schools that are fortunate enough to be able to fund a team. They're not going to throw more money into a non-revenue-producing situation. A lot of schools just don't have the money. And so Mississippi State does. Mississippi State is paying their student athletes to 5980. So on top of your scholarship and your stipend, you get these additional funds. Then you factor in what you get from an apparel standpoint. You can say, well, Steve, it's not that significant. Have you bought merchandise lately? And think about this. I mean, they're giving you a tremendous amount of gear. I know when Ani played college baseball, I could not believe all the gear they gave him. You get practice gear. You get stuff to wear on trips because they want the team to look like a team when you go somewhere. When you get off the bus, everybody's wearing official issue merchandise. They give you workout gear. 
They give you all sorts of stuff. And so for many of these guys and ladies, a big part of their wardrobe is provided by the university. Mississippi State's deal with Adidas. It's not one of the best, but it's in probably, I guess the last time I looked was in the top 60 apparel deals in all of college athletics. And so you're getting a high number of items to wear for free just because you represent a certain university. And again, not every school can afford to do that. You know, there are some schools out there that, um, you know, you get a couple things, you know, you get your uniform and they give you a few, a few things to wear, but then you got tournament at the end of the year. Well, this is to keep. Every time you turn around, there's fresh gear. You know, Adidas does a good job of Mississippi State, and I'm told that Mississippi State's apparel arrangement with Adidas is above the average in the industry. Then you think about the branding, and you think about all that Mississippi State does for student-athletes to prepare them uh, to go into the job market. Because let's be honest, I mean, you know, that's the thing I think some people, you know, forget. Uh, I mean, let's look at college football here. What percentage, you know, what what percentage, uh, and I'm, I'm typing as you hear that, you know, what, per- what percentage of college football players go pro? You know, that those numbers are, are very, very small. It's 1.6%. 1.6% of college-level players will get drafted in the National Football League. 1.6%. So as the ad says, the majority of these folks are going to go pro in something other than sports. And so you begin to think about branding. You begin to think about job search. You think about job fairs and job skills and things like that. And how do you interview? And all of the resources that are put in front of players to ensure that they are prepared to go into the workforce. A lot of schools can't afford to do that. And so when you begin to think about transferring, it's like, well, I'm going I'm to transfer from Mississippi State. There is a trade-off for sure. I'm going to transfer out of Mississippi State, and I, want, and I want to go and get more playing time. Well, you may get more playing time. You know, the thing that I think about, too, is like, begin to think about some of these lower-level conferences. All right, let's say you go to Sunbelt. It's like, okay, I'm not starting here at Mississippi State. And so I got to go somewhere that I can get on the field and I can prove to the NFL scouts that I can do it. Guys, the Sunbelt Conference, the 2021 draft, just four players drafted. Four. That's it. If you're not going to start at Mississippi State, chances of you making the draft, extremely slim. The Joe Burrow effect, in many respects, is, uh, you know, kind of – I guess galvanized the transfer portal. People are thinking, you know what? Hey, I, I got to get on the field somewhere to show people what I can do. And then Joe Burrow wins the Heisman Trophy and is the first pick in the draft out of Cincinnati Bengals and then has a great start to his career. Guys, he is the exception rather than the rule. And so you begin to think, okay, the NFL is a dream, but am I going to put my family in a worse financial situation just to get on the field? But some people don't care. So, you know, listen up. You only get a short time in life to play sports. You've heard me say that a million times on this show. So I'm going to go somewhere that I can play. Because at some point, I'm going to be punching a clock like everybody else, and I'm going to have you know, all these boring conference calls and these meetings and things like that. And, and uh, at least I'll have a few years of play under my belt. I, I get that aspect of it. But if we're leaving as a reserve player at Mississippi State or Ole Miss or anywhere, even Alabama or Auburn, you know, the chances of us transferring somewhere else and becoming an NFL player, pretty remote. You can say, but Steve, look at Makai Polk. You know what? Makai Polk is a transfer portal success story. He is. 
He was underutilized at Cal, comes to Mississippi State, gets in a pass-first offense, sets school records, and there's still a lot of discussion out there that he's not going to be drafted. He may be a late-round guy, may be a UFA guy. He's not a burner, but he is a great route runner. He's very much a competitive guy. He may make a, a roster. But think about that for a second. The, the fact that a guy could come here after a transfer and have a record-setting year and still not get drafted, that, that's a possibility. That's a real possibility. I hope that's not the case. I know some people today, you know, he's probably a mid-rounder. I, I don't know that I agree with that. You know, if I'm not mistaken, he was last in the power five in yards after the catch. He probably needed another year. He felt he wanted to bet on himself. We support him. We don't have to agree with his decision to say, you know what, we wish the best for Makai Polk. I don't, I don't wish any ill will on the guy. The guy was fantastic. Think a lot of Makai Polk. But the fact that a guy could come out and put up that kind of year and kind of be a fringe NFL pick goes to tell, kind of illustrates the point that you begin to realize that, you know, the chances of me leaving and catching fire somewhere else and then getting on the NFL radar is pretty slim. And that's the thing I think about, too, is like think about guys, and again, you, you think I'm, I'm maybe being critical here, but let's say a guy leaves here and transfers to I don't, you know, Southern Miss or UL Lafayette or whatever, and all of a sudden you get to the midpoint of the month and you don't get that check, or you do get a check and it's not what you were getting here. You know, there are some players on our team in years past that have given some of their money to their families because their families needed it more than they did. So now all of a sudden we're going to remove that revenue stream to go play and chase a dream that is pretty futile. You know, again, everybody's got to make a decision on for themselves, but I, I don't know that a lot of people have really looked at the finances behind all this. I mean, think about this for a second. Let, let's say you know, it's six grand, right? You get four to five years of the academic supplement. That's almost $6,000. I mean, that, that's a difference, you know, before your period of nearly $25,000. That's big money. And you begin to look at the difference in the stipend. Let's say you know, Mississippi State has one of the highest in the SEC. It's nearly $6,000. So let's throw that in there too. So that's $12,000 a year, which works out to $1,000 a month in their pocket. And let's, let's not forget the fact that the, the, all your expenses are paid. Your medical's paid. Your housing's paid. Your books are paid. Your meals are paid. Your clothing's paid. Your tra- transportation's paid for the most part. And then you're going to get some pocket money on top of that. Forget the NIL. I'm just talking about the average player. I'm talking about the guy that's on scholarship that may never make a contribution. And then you're going to graduate with the branding of being a former SEC athlete. Or, you know, think about this. I mean, when let's say that you were in the, in the car business. Yeah, and you've got an articulate guy, you know, and uh, – I'll give you Chad Bumpus as a great example. I, I love Chad Bumpus, and Chad's going to coach football for as long as he wants to. But let's say Chad decided to go into retail. You know, Chad's a guy that was a hero here at Mississippi State. You don't think that resume sitting on somebody's desk is going to get picked over, you know, the guy that majored in business administration that doesn't have a, a name? Well, of course. So it's a ladder of awareness type thing. And so you begin to benefit from that. Let's say you transfer here, and, and let's say you go to Eastern Michigan. They don't even know who you are. Yeah, how many times do you think about our baseball players? And, of course, the scholarship situation is much different. That's unfortunate. 
but you've got a college baseball player. I mean, the guys here that play at State of Ole Miss, especially in baseball, those guys are heroes. Those guys are heroes. And I don't just mean the Jake Mangums of the world. You know, some guy walks in, puts a resume on your desk, and you look up and say, oh, oh, Alex Detz, I remember you. You you played on a 2013 Mississippi State team that went to Omaha. I remember they played for an NFL championship. Come on and have a seat. Life's a lot easier when you don't have to introduce yourself. And that's what happens. And so the cost of transferring, I think, is almost impossible to quantify. But I think that is a part of this process that nobody's really talking about, especially the financial part of it. I mean, you begin to think, okay, it's $12,000 that I'm getting between the stipend and the academic performance over the course of five years. That is a significant amount of money. We're talking sixty grand. Sixty grand over five years going to college. Then, then you can take a girl on a decent date. You want to, you want to take her to uh, Harvey's, and go feed her a steak or whatever. You can afford to do that without going broke. You know, it's a different day and time. But all of a sudden, you, know, you begin to think about okay, first of the month I get my meal money and I get my housing stipend. Middle of the month I get my other my, my other stipend. You know, and then all of a sudden you've got this 5980 that's coming out too. It's like you, you begin to realize the economics of this thing. It makes sense if you can get to the Power Five to stay at the Power Five. Because many people out there are kind of deluding themselves into thinking, hey, if I can just go somewhere else and get on the field, I'm going to make it happen. Well, there's a reason you're not on the field. You know, if, if it's a quarterback or even a kicker, I kind of get it. Because there's only one of those. You know, we're going to play eight, nine receivers this year. You're a wide receiver. Why would you ever leave? Oh, well, I'm going to go somewhere else, and I'm going to start. You know, listen, you know, dude, you're five, nine and a half, and, you know, you run, you know, a four, five, eight. You can't play here. It's like, well, I'm going to go in a more traditional brand of offense. How many passes are you going to catch over there? You're probably going to be a second teamer there too. And so you begin to kind of look at the reality of the situation, and you realize, number one, it's going to make it more difficult, number one, to – have your expenses paid at school? Yeah, you get your full scholarship and you can live, uh, you know, live in a dorm, whatever. But what are you going to do? You know, you, you're going to walk away from all that money when the school you go to can't fund the full stipend for you. The school you go to can't fund the academic enhancement. And I don't think anybody's sitting down telling them that. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen to these guys that transfer out? And some of them transfer out, and it's kind of a mutual thing. You know, it's probably like, hey, you're not going to play here. If you want to go somewhere to play, we'll help you. That happens all the time. You know, it's, hey, coach so-and-so will take you. You're not going to play here, but they need, you know, they, they need a defensive back here at Southern Miss. I know that guy. And that they're willing to take you. That They're hurting for death, man. You got a chance to be a two-deeper there. Well, you know, if you really want to go play, yeah, cool. But then you find out that, you know, there's a lot less money to go around month to month that allows me to go do the things that I want to do. And listen, there's a lot of guys that live like kings. Don't get me wrong. I'm not anyway trying to suggest that. But I think there is an economic aspect of transferring that a lot of people are ignorant about. There is more money available today to student athletes than there have been in the history of college athletics. And I don't think that that has been fully illustrated. So, again, it's difficult to get hard numbers, but I'm going to put some things together. And uh, over at jeanspage.com, I'll make it a free article. We'll talk about it a little bit more on the show. I don't know when I'm going to write it, but I'm intrigued by this because I, I actually had a friend kind of mention this to me. He's like, have you, have you really considered 
what these kids are walking away from. And I don't think their families know it either. I mean, like if somebody could sit down and say, okay, listen, okay, I understand you want to transfer, but all of a sudden these are the expenses you're going to have to pick up by transferring. And I'm not saying trying to talk a guy and stay in a bad situation. I mean, everybody's got to make a decision for themselves. But when you begin to think about the expense that it is, I mean, I got two girls in college now, and thankfully they're very resourceful. They kind of make their own money. But they're also not playing college athletics. They don't have college athletics to take up their time. And so when you begin to think about, you know, we, in the past we've had some college athletes here. They have a different experience. They do, much different, much better than most of us. But what about that guy that's not a star football player? What about that guy that's uh, that lady that's not a star basketball player? And, you know, maybe their family can't send them money. They, maybe they can't afford to. It's like, you know, hey, you're up there. You've you, you got a roof over your head. It's paid for. you got three meals a day. But, you know, what are you going to do when the guy needs to go buy a coat? You know, what, what are you going to do, you know, perhaps, you know, when, when a guy has car trouble? How do you pay for that? Well, you've got the ability to pay for it here on the Power 5 level. So, again, it makes perfect sense to me. And, again, everybody's situation is different. But I think it's worth talking about the economic aspect of all of this. All right, final segment of the show, we're going to look at the SEC Baseball Weekend. This is brought to you by Portico. If you haven't uh, listened to the show before, and I'm sure you have, Portico, if I was moving to Starkville, that's where I would move. I would. I love the fact that it's so close to campus and it's close enough for convenience but far enough away to have a little privacy. It's 1.1 miles away, and it's towards 82 off of 12. You're right across from that neighborhood market. Very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. That takes you to Portico. Phase one's completely sold out. Your new neighbors are already in place. Your new friends people that are going to bring you your mail, that kind of thing. Those people are already there, living the high life, man, enjoying being a Stark villain. You should come up here and be with us too. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog Brooks Bryan. And I hate to even say former because that's kind of a lifelong designation. Brooks wore the M over S. Got a great appreciation for Brooks. Uh, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Uh, Portico, and a fabulous place to live. Whether it be like your, maybe it's your place in Starkville, maybe it's your future retirement home. Uh, you know, maybe you want an Airbnb it out. I don't know, but it's great construction, great location, and great neighbors. Make Portico your next move. All right, let's take a quick look around the SEC. Only two series got underway last night. As you guys are well aware, Mississippi State drops game one. Uh, to Ole Miss. And, again, I cannot overstate it enough. We've got to win that ball game tonight. The only other series that started last night was LSU-Missouri. It was a game for a while. LSU ultimately wins the game 5-3. Jacob Berry with a big game for the Tigers there. So, LSU and Ole Miss off to a 1-0 start this week in conference play. Let's look around the league here. Vanderbilt is at Kentucky. I don't know what to expect here. I, I would just like to see Kentucky get one. You know, Kentucky has just been so up and down. Vanderbilt is not a great team this year. Vanderbilt, of course, not ranked at this point. Vanderbilt a team not really expected to contend for a whole lot. But can they go into Lexington and get two? I think they probably can. I'm going to pick Vanderbilt to win this series two games to one. Really need Kentucky to get one. Tennessee is at Florida. A lot of people are kind of saying this is a trap series for Tennessee. I don't know that I agree with that. 
I think Tennessee takes the series, but I won't be the least bit surprised, you know, if Florida wins a game here. You know, again, you know, they're looking at, um, you know, life with some injuries too. You know, that's the thing that I think a lot of people kind of don't maybe appreciate is that people think it only happens to us. I mean, it's like you're only you're only you're only acutely aware of what happens with your school when you begin to think it doesn't happen anywhere else. Uh, Hunter Barco, the ace pitcher for Florida, is shut down. Not going to pitch this weekend. So you got to give Tennessee some advantage there. Tennessee's a better team anyway, and now Florida's best pitcher is not going to pitch. And so then, next thing you know, everybody slides up a spot. Not to mention, Tennessee pitching has been outstanding. So I could see Tennessee winning the series. I do know that Kevin O'Sullivan will have a great game plan to shut down the Tennessee offense. But, uh, you know, I just think Tennessee is doing something in many respects that's uh, that it's kind of historic, not just for them, but you, you look at the, you know, the number of home runs they're hitting and then the way they're pitching. It's not like the gorilla ball era where they're just kind of getting bound, outscoring everybody like 19 to 15. They're shutting people down. All right, South Carolina at Auburn, one of the most intriguing series of the weekend to me. You know, Auburn's a team that's been up and down. South Carolina, you know those guys, if, uh, you know, they are the definition of mediocrity, but uh, you never know from one weekend to the next what you're going to get. I like this Auburn lineup. Uh, especially after seeing them in person last weekend. I like the Auburn lineup. They do grind you out. They're also a lot like South Carolina. They're not going to score a ton of runs. But they're at home. So when you have two teams that are kind of similarly situated, even though I do think Auburn is a better team, South Carolina, of course, riding high after the uh, series win over Ole Miss last weekend. South Carolina's going to have some confidence. But I think Auburn wins the series. Let's go two games to one here. It would be interesting to see how South Carolina pitches Sonny to share. I think Mississippi State might have exposed him a little bit last night. We pitched him well last year, too, but we exposed him last weekend, I think. Uh, Georgia and Alabama, they get Jonathan Cannon back. That is huge for Georgia. Alabama, of course, playing perhaps their best baseball of the year. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be reluctant to pat myself on the back. There were a lot of people that thought Alabama was going to be in the tank this year, and I told you guys they'd be better. They are better. And uh, I like that Alabama lineup, too. That's not, that's not a lineup I'd want to see in a regional. And the starting pitching has been a little up and down. But this is, again, kind of a grinded-out team. They're better. They'll make the tournament for the second straight years after kind of having a hiatus of sorts. I just think Georgia has probably got a little more in the tank pitching-wise. So let's go with Georgia, 2-1 winners in Tuscaloosa this weekend. If Alabama can win this series, it is huge for Alabama. Huge. Missouri, of course, at uh, LSU. I, I like LSU to sweep here. Missouri has been kind of a fly in the ointment for a few teams, though. You know, it's like you look at them and say, okay, they're the last place team in the East. Um, and so you look at, well, you know, they're just going to lay down for people. That's just not the case. And we know from experience that's not the case. But you look back – at their SEC weekends, they get a win. They get swept by Vandy. They get a win on Saturday in Fayetteville. Or maybe that was in Columbia. But, you know, they get a, a game. They get a game from South Carolina the next week. They get swept by Tennessee. They get a game for Kentucky. And now they've lost – excuse me, they got two from Kentucky. Um, and I guess they took two from South Carolina. I'm looking at the schedule. is backwards here. But my point being is that you know, with, with few exceptions – 
they have been very, very competitive this year. Um, so we're going to have to play well when we go up there. I do like LSU in this series. I do think LSU sweeps. Part of it's because they're playing at home. You know, that's probably the biggest part of it is they're, they're playing at home. LSU are really good in their own ballpark. Arkansas at A&M. Your rooting interest in this game is Arkansas. We're not going to catch Arkansas, so we need them to hang some losses on A&M so we can catch A&M. And of course, we play them, but uh, you know, the more interference we can get from some of the front runners, you know, it's like you begin to look at all this stuff. Too. You almost want to root for the teams in the East, but really you want to root for the teams that are going to allow those teams that are around that we're chasing uh, to take some losses. A&M, again, a little bit of a uh, you know, Jekyll and Hyde team this year, too. You never know what you're going to get with those guys, but uh, they're clearly a better team than they were last year. Listen, we had, we had three hard-fought games against those guys last year. Of course, you, know, you had a staff in there. Childress and those guys were uh, you know, kind of coaching for their jobs, so we kind of knew that coming in that we would get their best effort. But, you know, looking at A&M, you know, you open up the year and they take two of three in Baton Rouge, and you're like, wow, look at this. Then they lose two of three at home to Auburn. Lose two of three to Alabama, take two of three from Kentucky, and then they take two of three from Georgia. And that Georgia, that uh, Sunday game, or Saturday game, 23 to nine. So this is a team that is very much capable of, uh, of beating just about anybody, but also losing just about anybody. Arkansas, I think, playing their best baseball of the year. We like Arkansas to go take the, uh, to go take the series. So, you know, again, it is a, a pretty wild situation right now in the SEC because there's still so, so many teams kind of congested in there together. But we don't just need other teams to run interference for us to let the traffic clear. we got to go win some games. It's like I look around the league, and it's like, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we are running out of time. And you begin to look at this team, and you begin to ask yourselves, you know what, hey, what series are we going to win? Well, this is one we've been counting this trip to Oxford, we've had some great success there. Of course, this is a different team. But when you look at how Ole Miss has played as of late, you feel like, hey, we're trending in the right direction. They're turning in the wrong direction. They get game one. And even though that I felt like that was the best chance for them to win a game, we had opportunities to win. But DeLucia shut us down. And, and that's as, as fair as I can be about it. It's not always about our lack of execution. Sometimes the other guy is just better. And DeLucia was great last night. He was. He was outstanding. Let his defense work for him. We got to go out there and get after Hunter Elliott today. You know, he's a left-hander, and of course that bullpen is somewhat porous, but we didn't even touch it last night, so we've got to find a way to make it happen. This is the biggest game of the year so far. You know, we, we have played ourselves into a corner here, and dropping this series could be incredibly detrimental to what has already been a very frustrating season. So, got to come out, got to play well. Reminder, I will be at Hobie's on Main. I'll be out there. Hobie will be there. We'll have a good time. Have a lot of Bulldogs there. You'll be among friends. You come enjoy, have a cold beer. I won't be drinking. I'm retired from all that. But you come have a drink, get some books, and just kind of sit with friends and family and just kind of enjoy the game. I do feel good about us winning the game, and I do think whoever wins today will win the series. Obviously, with Ole Miss already having won a game, that's kind of an easy conclusion to make. I think this is the swing game. I do expect us to win on Saturday. I do think Cade Smith – We'll do a good job shutting those guys down. And I think in many respects, Derek Diamond is a guy that uh, I don't know that he's right. You know, we heard back in the fall that he'd had some chronic back issues, and I just don't know that he's quite 
you know, back to what they had hoped that he would be. You know, he was expected to be the Friday night guy. And then, of course, you have Washburn uh, to transfer from Oregon State. They had a hamstring injury last weekend. So this is a very vulnerable Ole Miss pitching staff. And we faced their best guy or their most consistent guy as of late last night. And he did a great job for him. But that's yesterday. It's a new day today. You win the day, I believe you win the series. And we have to win this series. It is simple as that. He said, but Steve, you know, we've still got four more. If we don't win this one, and this is the worst team left to play in many respects, you know, and I know they're our rivals, and I'm not being disrespectful to them when I say this, but, you know, you look at an RPI standpoint, everybody else that we're going to play on the weekends is ranked ahead of all Miss in the RPI. Everybody. So you lose this one, you know, what is what is realistic to expect the rest of the way? Oh, we, we may win a game here, maybe win, maybe win a series there, you know. We got to get to 14. That means eight more wins. So we need to get two of them this weekend. There's no time like the present. And I think this team does have a sense of urgency. And and I'll be honest with you, I think the little celebration on the mound yesterday, and that's not to say that Delucia and those guys didn't deserve to celebrate. It was a little bit over the top. And I know that there were some guys in, uh, in the maroon and gray that noticed that. And my hope is it motivates them today to come out with uh, maybe some killer instinct. And I think what you got to do is you got to shift the focus back to them. You got to shift the power back to them. You go out there and you win the day, and all of a sudden, you know, your most consistent starter is going in game three. So I think you can have some confidence there, but you got to go win the day. If you go win the day and you're just trying to salvage a game on Saturday to get you to seven, you start thinking, okay, we got to get, you know, seven more wins over the course of the next four weekends. You know, it's, it's possible. I don't know how realistic it is, but. You know, the fact that we're in this position is very uncomfortable for all of us. And it doesn't matter how you articulate it. Maybe you're a person that gets on, you know, social media and vents your frustration or, you know, maybe you punch a pillar or, I don't know, go outside and shoot a weapon. I don't know. But we're all feeling the same things. And we're all kind of hanging on for dear life thinking, man, just make a regional somewhere and we'll see what happens. Just make a regional somewhere and we'll see what happens. When you lose games like that last night, even though – you knew it was going to be a nip and tuck game. You begin to kind of realize, you know what? We're running out of time. We are. We cannot continue to drive games like that. We've got to find a way to win and to improve where we are. And the bottom line is people always say, you know, your record is who you are. That's the reality of it. We're not a great team. We're a good team, I think, that kind of performs kind of with mediocrity. And that's disappointing. You know, we thought maybe we had outgrown that, especially considering that we had so many players coming back. And, of course, you have some injuries. And, you know, people say, well, Steve, those are excuses. No, they're not excuses. They're details of our own reality. But at the end of the day, no matter what you label those, those items of information, our record doesn't change. The expectation doesn't change. We've got to find a way to go win some ball games and get into a regional somewhere. And, then, and I think there will be a lot of weight lifted off this team's shoulders. We've got to find a way to go make it happen. And it's got to start tonight. That's as simple as I can say it. This is a must-win ball game for Mississippi State if we have hopes of making a regional, a realistic hope of making a regional somewhere. Because right now we're not in the field, and we don't deserve to be. As much as we want to be there, we don't deserve to be there. We have got to find a way to go make it happen. Uh, State's got to go out there. And I think what you've got to avoid chasing the game. You've got to avoid getting down three, four runs early in a ball game and then having to kind of chip away because next thing you know, you start running out of outs. And then, you know, 
you know, just like yesterday, Brandon Smith's pitch count got up, and you start thinking he's not going to survive the fifth. Ultimately, he gives a six, and the bullpen was that was good last for us last night for the most part. You got to score runs. We didn't lose last night because of pitching. We lost last night because of offense and a lack thereof. You got to go out there and put some runs up there today, and maybe you need seven, eight, nine runs. I don't know, but however many it takes, that's how many we got to go score. That's it for today. I'll see you guys uh, back on Monday. Hopefully, we're talking about a great series win that just happens to be against Ole Miss. But the reality of it is, it's just, it's we're running late in the SEC schedule and we're running out of opportunities to prove our tournament worthiness. So hopefully, that's what we're talking about. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at StarkVillains.com. I encourage you to do so. I have a lot of people that reach out and say, hey, Steve, what's the link again? It's StarkVillains.com. Again, it's StarkVillains.com. And find all those great books at dogpiledabook.com. See you guys at Hobie's tonight. The fun starts at 6 p.m. The Mississippi State Ole Miss Watch Party at Hobie's on Main. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.